I am really uh, personally very inspired by this season that we've come into as a church. Looking at the tabernacle, uh, as I'm studying and praying and preparing for this, uh, there's just so much that keeps being awakened within me. And on our blog, you'll find all the notes from what I'm about to share with you today. And uh, I want to ask you to access that. If you are digital, um, then please access the prayer that I'll be focusing on. There's a prayer that you walk through uh, the tabernacle. I know there's some folks that are more analog than they are digital. For those of you who are more analog, uh, we actually, this is a very lengthy explanation, but we do have these in the lobby if you don't do digital access, and you can feel free to pick it up. But save the trees if you're digital and uh, check it out. But this is a prayer through each element of the tabernacle uh, that Yongi Cho wrote years ago. And I've been praying through this this year. This is a year 2018. Do you remember what the year is? It's a year God revealed to us 2018 is a year of flourishing. God has called us to flourish. How many believe God wants you to flourish? You have to understand what God wants, God doesn't always get unless we are willing to cooperate. He wanted me to be saved, but I was lost until I cooperated with his love, and then I became saved. I've learned God rarely gets his way. But what God wants is for us to be awakened to the deeper purposes of God. I believe this is a year of flourishing. I want to talk through some of that with you today, not just to be inspired by this, but to be empowered to really take this tool of a prayer. It takes me about 20, 25 minutes to actually pray, just read through this. Um, and, and I encourage you not just to buzz through it, but really concentrate on the different places as you go through the gate. You enter the brazen altar, then you come to the brazen laver. You go into the holy place. And we're going to walk through each and, ever, each and every stage and step of this together. And we're going to talk about the brazen altar today. But I want to ask you just first, put your hand on your heart. And Lord, uh, we didn't come together to put on the destiny show and to do the best we can at making a big presentation that will hopefully attract people to come back. And I pray, Lord, you forgive us in our society for making the church into a product we're trying to market and advertise. These people are not consumers. They are producers. And you have said that we are to be fruitful and multiply. And you have called us to have an anointing that is activated in our lives, causing us to supernaturally be empowered by God to make disciples and I pray we would learn a little more about that today and be willing to take a step forward in what you've called us to do, who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, here's a picture of the tabernacle from kind of a bird's eye view. If you'll take a look on the left, there's a gate, and that is the only way in. <clears throat> this is where we were last week, and I talked about the gate being the only way in. This, this is what happens, you see, through the gate, then you meet the altar where sacrifice is made, and then past that you see the laver. That's what we're going to talk about next week. And then you go into the first chamber, the first room, the holy place. And there are three articles of furniture in there that we'll explore week by week. And then we go into the most holy place, a very important article of furniture there. This is what you need to understand. This is an incredible sequence revealed by God in Scripture of how to make our way deeper into the presence of God. Do you understand that? 
This is not a magic formula. This is simply a sequence God has revealed in His Word. And we as Christians don't want to just come together and learn the five easy ways to control our temper or all the little uh, promoted, advertised concepts and ideas that, that we've reduced the gospel to in the world. We want more than that. Do you want more? I want more. I want to grow deeper in what God's called us to grow in. And so as we start to enter into the gate, I just want to point out today that gate is the only way. Jesus is the only way. It's not a popular teaching in the religious circles of our world today, but it is absolutely the truth. Jesus is the way. He is the gate. He says He is the gate. He was constantly saying these things to stir up the Pharisees, and they kept getting mad at Him when He would say these types of things, and the people around Him didn't realize uh, perhaps the depth of what He was saying, but a few of them started catching on that he was actually making substantial claims about who he claimed to be as God. And the Pharisees would get very upset because they didn't believe him to be the Messiah. But here is one of those times. In John chapter 10, verse 9, first uh, reference on your card, Jesus said, I am the gate. He's making it very clear. I am the gate. They knew the tabernacle. They knew the progression that there was a gate, one gate to get in. He said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He's making a statement here that we need to embrace. And I want to say to you, if you'll please hear this today, Jesus is the gate between the presence of God and the things of the world. He's not the gate that wants to hold you out. He's the gate that wants to let you in, and you need to understand that about the heart of God. We, we have these misnomers and, and, and misunderstandings, and they're born largely from a frame of reference that comes from a point of origin within us that feels like we're not good enough to be loved or liked by God, and nothing can be further from the truth. And when you allow that to be your point of origin, your frame of reference gets skewed, you don't see God correctly, and I want you to know, if you don't see God correctly, you don't see you correctly. And if you don't see God correctly, you don't see others correctly. Correctly. And Jesus said, love God and love others as you love yourself. It's a pretty important progression that we get this right. You are absolutely adored and loved by God. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He's your father. Come on, help me today. We're calling this in and agreeing. Condemnation is being broken off of our lives. We have a tendency, and it's a natural inclination. What you need to understand is natural inclinations usually are contrary to supernatural expressions, but our natural inclination is to hide the worst, present the best, and only let people slowly see our bad side because we fear that if they know us well, they won't love us much. In fact, there's something incredibly... Um, frightening and, and terrifying about being truly fully known. If you think about your first date, I thought about Tracy and I've talked every once in a while about our first date. I didn't make a very good impression. Uh, but I mean, I did the best I could. She, she recently was telling somebody about this. I made, I mean, like, here's this little girl, and I made her, I don't know how many sandwiches. We went on a picnic, and I gave her like a feast for eight people, and she's just looking at it thinking, you know, Junk in the trunk, what are you trying to say here? You know, <laughs> trunk or treat, coming soon. 
and so it was an interesting paradigm and connection that we were making on our first date. But man, I wanted to present the best. I wanted to be funny. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to, to, I wanted to be everything right, my best foot forward. And then she slowly, slowly started to see some of the other stuff. How many know there's some other stuff? And so what we do is we put the first, the best foot forward and we hide the bad stuff. And then if we can convince them with enough good stuff that we're, you know, good, then we are willing to show them the bad stuff, hoping that they'll overlook the bad stuff because they like the good stuff enough. This is just the progression of relationship. And there's something, the, the reason all of that happens and the reason that's so deep within us is because there's something terrifying about being fully known, but there's something fascinating about being fully loved. And I want you to know, he who fully knows you, fully loves you, he knows everything about you, and he's not put off by any of it. He loves you. God loves you. God loves you. It's your first blank. He who knows you the best loves you the most. And this is where this whole tabernacle progression starts. I know this is crazy. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Christ. And what we'll see over and over is when God looks at you, he no longer even sees you because of the blood of Christ. He sees Jesus, and that then positions you and God to be in a 100% awesome relationship. It's amazing. So that's where we go in. We step in and we begin to experience through the gate of Christ and we come to the brazen altar. What's the next piece of furniture past the brazen altar? The laver. We're going to talk about the laver. It's a place of cleansing. Where do we tend to go? Once we come through the gate, we want to bypass anything else and just get right to a place where we can clean ourselves up. How many of you know you don't need to clean yourself up for God? There's a purpose for the labor, but that's not the purpose. The first step, the first order, come through the gate of Christ and stand at the brazen altar. Don't bypass this important component in your life where you become fully aware of the sacrificial nature of Jesus that utterly changed you into a completely new creation. The Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, a new creation actually speaking of a new species unknown to humanity. You are born by heaven, by the Spirit of God. You suddenly become an expression of God Almighty to humanity in the earth. This is powerful. Jesus isn't there to hold us out. Jesus is there to take us in. So we experience God's presence as we embrace the sequence that we're talking about, the gate, the sacrificial place of the brazen altar, the laver, then we go into the holy place and we see these three things in there. We'll get week by week talking through all of this, but you need to understand something. Experiencing God's presence, experiencing God's presence will actually activate your anointing. Experiencing God's presence is important. When you experience God's presence, you automatically begin to express something supernatural. So that's why I'm trying to get everybody on board 
to get up just a little earlier than you usually do, to make time perhaps during the day, and, and walk through, pray through this tabernacle prayer. You'll understand things as you start to read through here. I had one person this week tell me, you made me have full-on revival by myself by reading through that prayer this week. There's something so revelation of Christ as we start to progress through that and begins to understand it. And you need to activate your anointing. God's not just called you to live a gifted life. You are gifted. But he's not just called you to live a gifted life because it's not your giftedness that will change the world. It's your brokenness that will change the world. I want to talk about this just a little bit so you understand the importance of why we're going to press in and seek God in this capacity. I don't want you just to be inspired by a conversation today. I want you to be empowered to walk out of this place and all week long come before the cross of Jesus Christ again and again and again and lay your life and lay your rights down and say, God, awaken something supernatural within me. We were on a, our, our trip recently and Lexi and I were just sitting in the living room. We were waiting on... Uh, everybody should be ready or whatever we was. We were just bored, and I turned on the TV, which I rarely do, just to, you know, thumb through. And all of a sudden on TV, here's, one, here's a daytime show. It was actually Ellen, and, and she said, you get a crock pot, and you get a crock pot, and you get a crock pot. Everybody gets a crock pot. And everybody went crock pot crazy. I, I couldn't believe it. They were like, I mean, it was the craziest thing. I just thought, are you kidding me? Like, it's a crock pot. We got three of them for our wedding. And I thought, why does everybody give away these crock pots? Maybe because they win them on programs or something. <laughs> but I watched all of this, and, and I just was pretty entertained by the fact that a gift got a crowd so wound up. In the church world, this is what we do. We take a gift and we put it before a crowd and the gift gets everybody all wound up. Now, I, I have a gift. I speak and, and there's a speaking gift, there's a preaching gift that God's given me and I, I'm thankful for that and I've learned how to function in that and, and I, know, I know when uh, I'm speaking and, and the crowd's a little low, I kind of use my gift to bring them up. When the crowd's a little too high, I use my gift to bring them down. I kind of have learned over the years how to function in my gift and how to, I can make a crowd, many times I can just make a crowd laugh, sometimes I can make a crowd cry, but a gift in the church world can wake up a crowd, but you need to understand something today. It's not the gift that destroys the yoke of bondage. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke of bondage. We need the anointing. We have been so busy in the church world celebrating the gifts that we've lost sight of the anointing. I love to be celebrated, put up on a platform and, and say, this man's got a gift, let him go. But I don't like to be broken. I don't like to be crushed. But the anointing doesn't come from being celebrated. The anointing comes from being crushed. Do you want the anointing? It's going to cost you something. Because the anointing costs what it costs and it never goes on sale. There are no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. There's a cross in front of you and unless you're willing to die, you will never really live. This is the cross of Christ that he exemplified for us and we need to learn what this is every day in our lives. Tracy and I have always found it interesting in the youth conference 
that we host. We ask the youth, who'd you like? You know, what speaker'd you like? And consistently, the youth will say, the funniest person who spoke. Because they migrate to the gift. And we live in a church world that celebrates the gift and neglects the anointing. And I love hearing the sound of humor, but I prefer to hear the sound of heaven because you can't kill a giant with a joke. You've got to have the anointing to destroy a yoke. Somebody today ought to release the anointing in this place right now by the clapping of our hands and the declaration of our mouths. Jesus is alive. We are powerful warriors in Christ. Wake us up, God. Wake us up to your anointing. It is not your giftedness, it's your brokenness that releases the anointing. And I venture to say, the typical American ordinary Christian places very little value on truly being broken. And we're fighting that in this culture. We're resisting that in this culture. I've had people over the years tell me, You know, if you wouldn't take such a hard stance on these things, we could really grow the church. I've had that conversation on numerous occasions. If you wouldn't make it so hard, then we could really get a lot more people showing up all the time. And I just want you to know, God's not interested in rallying crowds. God wants to make disciples. I would rather have Gideon's 300 men full of the power and anointing of Christ destroying yokes of bondage everywhere they go, every day they live for the rest of their life than a large crowd of people that wants to celebrate a gift and they have no sense of the anointing. The typical ordinary American Christian does not place a value on the anointing. They just know how to celebrate the gift. The typical American ordinary Christian attends church less than twice a month. Some of you in the room may be typical ordinary American Christians. If you are, you serve in the church when you feel up to that. Maybe something kind of gets your, you know, catches your attention. You're not really engaged and involved in seeing this thing through. Jesus died for the church to thrive and be strong, for you to know your place, for us to be a family, for us to steamroll the enemy because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church when we're alive and we're awakened. The typical, ordinary, average American Christian serves about three times a year. They probably attend two or three other churches, and only about 3% of American Christians give with any kind of sacrificial expression as a true declaration of worship to the Lord their God. Not on my watch. Not in my house. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. As I'm, I'm talking to my house here. As for me and my house, we are going to become everything God has called us to become. We are going to leave a trail of saved souls everywhere we go. We're going to leave a legacy that outlasts our lives. We are going to awaken heaven and the earth to release something of power and might that breaks the yoke of bondage in the earth. You were born for more. It's why there's something in you that's coming alive as I'm talking about this, because you weren't born to simply have the strength to, to go to work, to make the money, to buy the food, to have the strength to go to work, to make the money, to buy the food, to have the strength. Come on, you were born for more than that. 
You're gifted because God loves you and God loves the world around you, but you're anointed when you respond to that love from God. This is when you move into the deeper places of God, you become spiritually activated. It's the whole focus I want in this season for us to get. You enter his gate through Christ, but it's only the beginning. First and foremost, you must know his love. The way we're broken is not out of manipulative religious obligation. The church says, I have to have a quiet time, therefore I better have a quiet time. I don't want God to be mad at me. I'm really glad you're here, but I just want you to know God doesn't love you anymore because you came to church today. I really hope you give, but I want you to know God won't love you anymore if you give a big offering today. Just let yourself off the hook, will you? Just be who God's called you to be and be honorable to Him and obedient to Him because you want to grow and mature and be more of who He's called you to be. Not because, because I'm trying to earn something. You can't earn anything. So just to learn to be broken before the Lord. To give when it hurts is to be broken before God. To pray when you feel rushed is to be broken before God. To get into the Word even when you don't feel like it is to be broken before. You want the anointing? You've got to be willing to get uncomfortable. When you step into a place where you're uncomfortable because you have this pursuit of God that moves you beyond your own selfish desires, and we all have our own selfish desires. I may have more selfish desires than all of you in the room, but God is here to deliver us from those things. I want to just reiterate something. None of us have this all figured out. The worship team's not up here because they've got it all figured out. I'm not up here because I've got it all figured out. We are all on a journey just trying to find our way. I want to hear the sound of heaven and the voice of God in every person that speaks into my life in this house. You don't pursue a place of brokenness to earn favor with God because Jesus paid it all. This is, where, this is why it's the first stop. This is important. This is fundamental. This is primary. This is foundational. If you don't get this, then it skews your entire pursuit of trying to come into the presence of God. The brazen altar was made out of wood covered with brass. Wood speaks of humanity. Brass speaks of judgment. The bronze serpent lifted up in the wilderness in the book of Numbers. You remember that story? It was made out of bronze. It was made out of brass. It was a snake. Jesus didn't die for your sin. Jesus became your sin and died on your behalf as a result of becoming your sin. Read the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. And that was a declaration in the book of, of Numbers where that brazen serpent was raised up in the wilderness and those who had sinned looked at the serpent and they were healed as a result of looking at the serpent and it was a type and a shadow and a declaration that Jesus would become our sin and one day be raised up on a cross. And when we look to that cross, we be healed, we be redeemed, we be restored. Very important. And so this wood, speaking of humanity, is covered with brass, speaking of judgment. You get the picture. God entered into humanity and suffered judgment. And so you stand at the brazen altar, and when you read through the prayer, there are various sacrifices and various offerings that took place there. And you'll see those things. All of them spoke of that which was to come, that one day the sacrificial lamb, the true lamb of God, would be slain on our behalf, and we never again then have to go to that brazen altar. Once and for all, Jesus died. You need to have confidence in this. This changes everything. Yeah. 
1 John 3, 21, dear friends, I want you to hear this. If we don't feel guilty, let's just stop there. Raise your hand if you tend to feel guilty. I mean, I need to raise both my hands. I, I had, when my kids were little, I was always doing something, you know, to parent. I was always asking who can help me, you know, parent better. I was reading books, how to be the best dad. And it wasn't because I had a healthy pursuit. It was because I always felt guilty. Am I doing enough? There's something driving uh, your life more than you realize deep beneath the obvious, and only God can unlock this correctly today. I want you to hear this verse. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. Guilt will hijack your confidence before the Lord your God. The NIV puts it this way. If our hearts don't condemn us, then we have confidence before our God. See, what we believe, next blank, what we believe is directly related to how we behave. If you want to impact how you behave, you must address what you believe. That's transformation in God's kingdom, constantly learning to think God's thoughts. That's why we've been given the mind of Christ. And when we begin to change and shape what we believe, that begins to affect how we behave. And I want you to see how this is revealed, all tying into this, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since we have a great high priest who entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to, say it with me, what we believe. Let us come boldly to the very throne room of God and stay there to receive His mercy and to find grace to help us in our times of need. I want you to write this in your blank and then stand to your feet after you write it in. You'll never process God's love correctly if you keep rehearsing your mistakes. You will never process God's love correctly if you keep rehearsing your mistakes. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. Let's stand in the grace of God Almighty. He, this sinless never did anything wrong, don't know how, so far beyond me. But every time Jesus was tempted, he looked to the Father rather than the sin. He set the perfect example. Didn't deserve death because the wages of sin is death. He never sinned, so he got what he did not deserve. He took what you and I deserve. Therefore, because of the injustice of taking that which he did not deserve, it postured him then to redeem every single one of us so that we might get what we don't deserve in his love. The brazen altar. That's where we are right now. We're before him at the brazen altar. So what you'll see as you read through this, Cho makes statements like, in my imagination I come to the mountain, Lord I want to pray. I see that I walk through the gate and I envision the brazen altar where these sacrifices were made. And I acknowledge today Jesus, you are the ultimate sacrifice as the expression of that altar. And Lord, we acknowledge today we need you. In a state of fallen humanity, only a risen king can redeem our surrendered available lives. So we join together in a posture of saying, Jesus is Lord. You are the Messiah. You've come. You lived. You died. You're risen from the grave that we might be rescued from sin and death 
in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, why don't you give him an amen, hand clap of praise, declaration, Jesus is Lord. Come on, he is Lord. Jesus is Lord.